Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello everyone, today I'm joined by someone who has been a bit busy the past few years, Andrea Nelson, the CEO of the 2022 Women's World Cup. Welcome to the show, Andrea. Kia ora, lovely to talk to you. Well, you had a wonderfully successful tournament which ended on Sunday the 3rd of April when Australia beat England in the final by 71 runs. 31 games, 31 days. How do you feel over a month after the tournament has finished? Yeah, look, it's been a um, a, a chance to kind of reflect on what was really quite a magical month here in New Zealand. We, we as you might have seen, kind of caught the COVID thing a little later than ever else in the world, and this tournament really did get the raw end of the deal at at every point. Um, so to the fact that we managed to get the event off, the fact that it was so entertaining, and then to be able to deliver that final in front of a, a sold-out crowd at Hagley Oval, um, to me it's a real sense of pride I look back on um, at, at what we managed to achieve. It must have taken your life over for a very long time. When did you first get the job? Yeah, well, of course, it was the Women's Cricket World Cup 2021 when I got the job. Um, so that was in 2019. So my first uh, part of my job, which was terribly grueling, was coming back over to the UK to watch the 2019 World Cup. Um, I didn't manage to stick around for the final, the draw. Didn't stick around for the draw, but I um, did. Uh... Oh, we did win, actually. Uh, uh, you've forgotten yeah, that, yeah. yeah? I do, yeah. No, I do understand these things. But doesn't mean I have to accept them, though, does it? uh didn't stick around didn't stick around for that but that was my beginning so June July 2019 was when I started so it's been a long three years we're going to come we're going to come back to that because that's the the main point of the show but I did want to go back to talk about your own background and um, where where were you born yourself so I was born in Blenheim which is the top end of the South Island here in New Zealand and moved around a lot as a kid around different kind of rural parts of, of New Zealand and um, do you come from a sporting family? 
Not particularly, actually. And I wasn't particularly sporty myself growing up. I was quite arty, a big reader. And um, I didn't find school sport particularly enticing or engaging. And it's actually one of the big drivers for me in women's sport, because I think there's a lot of girls like me who, you know, the, the way that sport was delivered wasn't particularly inspiring. I didn't have any role models that that I could see myself in. And so I pretty much opted out of it until much later in my life. Um, in fact, around the time I moved to the UK, I started both uh, playing and uh, working in sport. And is that when you moved to the UK to work? I know you worked on the uh, London 2012 Olympics. Yeah, look, I love to be glamorous. I to say I moved to the UK to do that, but I was uh, on my OE. So I was... Uh, Enjoying my time in the UK uh, and, 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 and traveling around. And I was incredibly lucky to pick up a contract working on the bid. And I started the same day as Sebastian Coe um, on the bid and um, managed to see it all the way through to helping to write the end of, uh, end, end of Olympic report. I mean, it's a big project. I played a very small role in it, but it was nine years of my life working on that one. Well, here's a question for you. I remember the the day when it was announced being at work and seeing it on the television, the vote that was. Did the team think they were going to win that morning? Oh, it's a really interesting one. I was in London. Most of the team were in Singapore. Um, We knew that we had a chance if we were up. Now, I've got to get this right in my head. I think if we were up against Paris, we knew we had a good chance. Um, and and which was against what the media were saying. I think the media were suggesting it was a different way round. But um, I actually helped run the event in um, Trafalgar Square alongside Martin Green, who's actually I think working on the Birmingham Games. But we um, we had uh, Rachel from S Club Seven, and uh, we had a live Lydia video link to Glen Eagles with Tony Blair. This is how long ago it was, and the the Red Arrows were on call, ready to fly over. Um, Trafalgar Square, um, and, and yeah, we told the police confidently we'd have 5,000 people there, and I think it was 36,000 people when they stopped counting, and they had to shut down most of the roads in uh, in central London, so it was a pretty exciting moment to be at when we won. It must have been a fantastic experience working during the, the Olympics, and the Paralympics, I guess. Yeah, absolutely, and in fact, the Paralympics... Um, were probably a little bit, well, you don't want to compare, they're very different, but the Paralympics are really fun because you kind of know how everything works, you know your way around and the sport's really engaging and emotional and exciting. So I think actually I was lucky enough to be in the Olympic Stadium the night that Johnny Peacock won the 100 metres final um, T44, 45, I think. And um, that to me is up there with the greatest sporting moments I've ever witnessed. It was so exciting. And then you worked on the 2017 Rugby League World Cup, did the, the Olympics sort of give you preparation for that? Yeah, look, look it's a, every sport is different. So I came back and did a um, FIFA Under-20 World Cup and then on to Rugby League. Rugby League in, in New Zealand is a really amazing sport. It's massively uh, popular in Māori and Pacific Island communities. And it just, um, the World Cup in 2017 was just actually a truly incredible experience because it was actually the first time Tonga and Samoa had played each other in New Zealand. And if you don't know, Auckland has more, no, I think this is correct, Auckland has more Tongans than live in Tonga and more Samoans than live in Samoa. I think that's right. But certainly massive population. And um, 
the level of excitement. We had people lining the streets. Uh, there was a, there was a suburb in Auckland that shut down for a month because there was a party every night, and it culminated with the semi final against England, um, Tonga v England. Um, and, and there was a slightly controversial call at the end of that semi-final where uh, England went through to the final and uh, the Tongan crowd took a while to adjust to that, but it was a great, amazing experience to work on. Let's move forward then to the 2022 Women's World Cup. At what point did the get, date get changed from 2021? Oh, you're testing my memory there. Uh, so okay, what I can tell you, I have to work it through in my head, but we did launch the tournament um, on the, a very early March 2020. Well, not uh, a good date, I don't think. No. Not yeah, a good time oh, to be launching a tournament, is it? 2020 no. March? No. Well, it was, we'd just come back from the MCG. We'd watched 90,000 people. We'd watched the final. And then we uh, pretty much got off the plane to a meeting, uh, a launch with uh, Manu Sawney, who was then running ICC, Jacinda Ardern, our Prime Minister, and did a big, beautiful launch at Basin Reserve. Um, and that was in March, and New Zealand went into lockdown, I think, three days later. Um, and so we we still really were confident we could deliver the event, and we could have delivered the event here in New Zealand. But in around, I think it was about August that year, it became clear that, that the teams weren't able to prepare for the tournament in a way that would, would allow the best possible, you know, showcase of women's cricket and the best experience for the players so the decision was made to postpone it it was really hard decision for us at the time you know but but ultimately it was the right one and I think if you saw the quality of the the contests that you know happened in around our our stadia this year you can see the benefit of that extra year so in the way in a way did the delay help the organizing of the tournament yeah look I think more time's always great but the thing with events is that if you have more time, you fill it. Um, we did a lot more public engagement. We did a lot of work in, in communities here in, in New Zealand. In the period, the year in between, we actually had pretty much no COVID here. So New Zealand was operating almost completely open, free, apart from the borders being shut. Um, you know, uh, and, and so there was a very interesting uh, situation. So we were planning for an event where people would quarantine on their way in, but once they were here, everything would be normal. Um, and so we were able to give a really great active community engagement, lots of really fun activities um, as we geared up. So, yeah, the extra year was good. Uh, it was also good, I think, for the profile of the game and and for the quality of the cricket. Well, the competition got underway on the... 3rd of April, 3rd of March. 3rd of March, yeah. I've written uh, 4th of April here, so I'll check my notes. So as soon as I read it, I knew I got that wrong. <laughs> Tur- they get really confusing. <laughs> at Turunga at, at Mount Monginui, a fantastic venue. I've actually been there myself because I saw the England-New Zealand test match there. Seems so, so long ago now. It's only um, November 2019. Um, and New Zealand, the White Ferns against the West Indies, and a dramatic start with the West Indies winning the first game. Yeah, it was a nail-biter, that one. And I think it really gripped a lot of New Zealanders onto the match for good or for bad. You know, I think it was the 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 fact that uh, women's ODI cricket, which let's be honest, on recent tours of New Zealand haven't hasn't been highly competitive. You know, I think there there wasn't a lot of really close ODI matches in the lead up. So to have that real last minute um, thriller, even though the result didn't go the local team's way, it kind of got us off to a great start. And that moment with Deandra Dotton 
asking for the ball for the last over and and you know getting those three wickets. I mean, that was just a a sporting moment to remember, wasn't it? Well, we tried to try to forget uh, Deandra Jotting if you're an England supporter because she took that fantastic catch. Um, well, I don't think we're the particularly fond as New Zealand supporters either, but, you know, as, as tournament organisers, we can be appreciative. <laughs> well, you've, you've got to be neutral as a tournament organiser. Exactly. But as an organiser, did you have like plan A, B, C, D, E, F and all the way up to Z um, because of the, you know, the situation? Yeah, we had we had a lot of plans. And I think one of the most unique things is that 95% of our plans weren't used because they either... The, the thing they'd been designed for no longer existed or, or you know, the situation changed. So just shortly before the event, um, COVID did appear in New Zealand. Um, we actually followed the peak of the Omicron wave down the country. So it peaked basically in every city as we were there. So we had quite strong um, but reasonable biosafety measures around the teams and uh, really kind of protected the team environment as much as we could. But as the tournament went along, the, the the restrictions loosened and it meant that we could bring crowds into the stadium. Yeah, because you had, is it hubs? The, the crowds were in small hubs to start with. Then the final, you got full crowds in the final. Yeah, we started at 10% and then we got all the way up to 100% at the end. So it was a good, you know, it was good. And the really exciting thing was that despite the fact New Zealand weren't there at the final, we still had a sold-out crowd. And, and I think that was, um, you know, to see a stadium full of, proud Kiwis and Cantabrians giving an Australian a standing ovation was quite a um, was quite an experience. <laughs> now I was going to ask once the tournament started did it did the quality of the cricket lift the morale in the country you know with with what everyone had been through? Yeah look I think what um, we really noticed was it was the dinner at table conversation in New Zealand that was on every night you know and almost every game went to the last over if not the last ball. Um, and it just meant that as that momentum kept going and going and the quality of the cricket was great, I, I had one day off in the middle of the event where I took my younger son to the cricket, ironically, for his game. And as I walked up, I, I had two fathers were having a conversation in front of me and they were having a bit of a heated debate about uh, whether um, Ismail's, uh, no, what were they, I mean, debating two different female bowlers and their styles and which one was faster and most aggressive. And they were getting, you know, really, really heated about it. And I thought, well, this is success, really, if this is the... Um... And as the tournament went along, you just saw, um, you know, Sophie Divide being chased by children, asking for her autograph. You know, the conversation got got better. And and I think as New Zealanders, we, we were really... It was a, a hard time as we kind of started to deal with what you had been through before but was new to us. And to have something that was happening and successful and happening on the global stage was something I think people took a lot of pride in. Well, it's fantastic to hear what you're saying about uh, the effect it had, you know, about women's cricket. Uh, Were the TV audiences really good? Yeah, fantastic. In fact, I just saw some numbers through and, you know, they were, it was definitely the most, you know, up, up there with the most watched content and even in the Holy of Holies rugby match you know, season. There was there was rugby on at the same time. This is really dominating the conversation. So, you know, there's some really good um anecdotal stuff. I haven't seen all the hard numbers yet, but it's looking really good. And certainly um it, it's clear that there was a lot of people. You turn on the radio, everyone was talking about it on the internet. It was it was what it was the conversation topic, which is cool. So the the failure of the white ferns I'll speak quietly now, to reach the, the uh, semi-finals, that didn't have too much an effect on how the 
tournament sort of progressed? Yeah, look, I think um, they had some really close matches, the White Ferns, and they put up a really good fight. You know, I, I think that they won the hearts of New Zealanders, even if they were a little frustrated at times. Um, and, you know, it really came down to I was lucky enough to be at Eden Park for those balls where one ball really in that match against England was between us and you to make it to the um, to make it to the to the semifinals. Um, what really gave us a, a real burst of energy was that the Monday after New Zealand dropped, knocked out was when we got the full crowds announced. So it allowed us to kind of go at the finals with a real sense of excitement. But what had happened is that New Zealanders had been watching every match and that you always say in a World Cup that should happen, but it actually happened at ours. And so there was a, a group of people who were excited and following the English, the South Africans, the West Indies, the Australians even, you know, for New Zealanders right through. So um, it was really cool. And what was also great was to see a lot of the white friends involved in the broadcast of the last few matches. So Frankie Mackay went back to her commentary. I think uh, Katie Martin was involved. So that was really cool to see them part of the, um, you know, the, the sports presentation right up to the end. And did you find with the crowd you got plenty of family engagement at the matches? Yeah, look, so we, when we were going to be, in full crowds, we built our whole organisation around families. So we actually had free childcare on offer at, at our matches. Now, COVID restraints meant that there were a few it didn't happen at, but but most of the way through, um, we had uh, trampoline parks, particularly at the finals, for kids to have a, a bounce around. Um, you know, and we really like unashamedly gone after families, sporting families. You don't need to be a cricket fan. This is history. Be part of something really amazing the first of three World Cups here in New Zealand. So the Rugby World Cup's here in October. And then next year, New Zealand and Australia are sharing the Women's FIFA World Cup. So, um, you know, that momentum and, and and being part of that moment of history was what, what brought families in, I think. Now, we've mentioned them, mentioned them several times, the Australians, um, or the mighty Australians, um, mm. possibly the greatest women's cricket team of all time. You were obviously at the final. How exciting was the final to watch? I mean, it was amazing. It was a, it was a spectacular display, and Alyssa Healy was just just it was a, it was one of the most impressive sporting performances at a mo, you know right when it really mattered. Um, but I think also what was really great about the Australians is it really demonstrated that if you invest in women's sport and you invest in professional athletes, then you create winning teams. And it's no mistake that the two teams in the final were Australia and England, from my perspective, you know, like, it, you know, as it should be. And and hopefully as, you know, as time goes by and, and you know, and, and more investment happens and more countries follow Australia's path and England's path, then, you know, you'll get to, to, to see those, that competition. But, you know, it did seem at times that there was a huge amount of really close matches, but not many of them involved Australia. <laughs> so it could have been seen as inevitable, that result, but England put up a huge fight in the final, didn't they? And, um, you know, Nats Giver, you know, had a pretty amazing performance of her own. So, um, look, I'm no sports commentator and, and it's not my area of expertise, but I really enjoyed watching watching that match. We ran them close in the first game. I think we lost by 12 runs, but in the final we lost by 71 runs. But... Having lost there were our a lot of runs that day, though. There was. <laughs> Having lost our first three matches, England did particularly well to get to the final. I mean, I don't think it was looking likely at certain points of the tournament, was it? But um, no. I think that close match against New Zealand uh, burst a win behind England and, um, and you know, right through to the, to the end. 
you mentioned earlier that as a youngster you weren't that big a sports fan but are you a big cricket fan now yeah cricket was my first sport that I fell in love with and um I do I and, and I am the mother of a cricket mad uh son um one of them my older son is completely he's almanac reading um you know ready every 1980s cricket biography um he's what he's one of those cricket fans so that's been a big part of our of our family and he's obviously loved me having this job and he never saw a difference actually between the men's and the women's team he he was the one when I first got the job he taught me you know who the players were and who to watch um so you know I love cricket I am a cricket fan and so it is no hardship for me to spend a month watching one day cricket my favorite format <laughs> so Drawing to a close, um, reflections on on the tournament. Did it achieve its aims? Yes, it absolutely did. I think it, it went through a, a circuitous route to the finish line. Um, we talked a lot about curveballs along the way, but we had a vision at the at the beginning to kind of own our moment on the global trajectory of women's sport and to lead change. And there were some really amazing things that happened, which I haven't spoken about actually. That that really demonstrated that. So we had all of the changing facilities at all of our venues were built for men. So they only had uh, cubicles. But they didn't have cubicles, or they might have one. But um, the showers didn't have doors. And so as a result of our tournament, they're all now appropriate for female athletes and will be for generations to come. And that kind of change and, and leading that change is a big part of what we set out to do. Um, so, you yeah, know, we do, I do feel it achieved its aims. I'm really proud of... of the event that happened and I can't wait to see what happens in Birmingham at the Commonwealth Games and to see, you know, women's cricket take that next step because it's going to be a busy couple of years for these athletes. I certainly agree that like women's cricket is is booming, as is women's sport. I mean, in England this year we've got, as you mentioned, the Commonwealth Games and we've also got the hundred where we've got more of the Australian cricketers playing in the hundred this year. So um women's sport is really on the up. Yeah, it's just about, um, you know, you, you you can't, it's a cliche, but you can't be what you can't see. And, you know, for, for the next generation of boys and girls, they turn on their telly, they could be watching Arsenal women or Arsenal men, you know, they could be watching, you know, the, the hundreds, you know, in any, either gender, and it's all the sport, right? And and that that will by itself create massive social change. And that's what got me out of bed for three years doing this event. And it's what we were so focused on achieving and really proud to, you know, to have seen it happen. Well, you say for the last three years, have has your role as CEO officially ended or are you still doing some tidy up jobs even now? Got a bit of wrap up to do. Got a little bit of wrap up to do. We're nearly there. <laughs> and what, what's your what's your next role or are you taking a break? Have you got another big tournament to, to organise? Uh, look, I'm taking, uh, I'll plead the fifth on that one. I'm going to take some time out uh, to recover from the event and the in uh, a fairly nasty dose of COVID and spend some time with the family and I'll take it from there. Well, thank you very much for, for joining me on the Paddock and Pavilion, telling me your story and also the story of the Women's World Cup of 2022. And you must be really proud of the event that uh, you and New Zealand put on. Thank you, Stephen, and thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Paddock and the Pavilion. You can download the show on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at The Pad and Pav. 
Don't forget, if you like the show, please do leave us a rating and review. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.